through verses 8 through 11, since we're not preaching through the book of James, I'm going to have to give a little bit of a background. We'll have to look at verses 1 through 7 first, just so that we're kind of all on the same page as we get to verses 8 through 11. I'll read verses 1 through 7, make a few notes uh, concerning those verses, and then we'll move into our text, 8 through 11. So verses 1 through 7 say this, My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. I'm going to stop right there for a second. What James just said, in a lot of words, was if you claim to be a Christian, then don't show partiality. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, if you claim I've been saved by grace through faith, then don't show partiality. Okay, that's a simple nutshell of what he said. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But contrary to that, or in contrast to that, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppose you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? I just want to make a couple of quick points here. I'm not going to spend much time in this area. It's just a little bit of background for us going into 8 through 11. So in verse 1, James says, if you claim to be a Christian, then do not show partiality. It's not a suggestion. It's not a well, possibly. It's a command. James says within the church that there should be no partiality shown between, behind, between those who claim to be Christians. Clear? It's a command. It's not a suggestion. So very clear. James says, here's a command. And then he gives us an illustration of what he's talking about. Now, I want you to catch this illustration because there is something here that changes in verse 8. In these verses, James is giving an illustration of two men who come into the assembly. Well, what's that mean? It means they're not members. It means that these are people from outside the church who come inside the church. And in the illustration, James says, you look at this man who has fine clothing, who's wearing a nice Armani suit and a big diamond ring, and you show preference for him. You show partiality to him. But then this other guy comes in. He's dressed in shabby clothes. And James doesn't say you show partiality to him, but in essence, by saying you stand over there, you stink, You've shown partiality to him, just not in a positive way. Where you talked to the rich man and said, hey, you come sit here in the best seat in the house. You showed partiality to him in a positive way. I'm trying to build you up, lift you up. I want you in this perfect setting. While you showed partiality to the poor man by standing him in the corner telling him he stinks. Everybody with me so far? So just getting a little bit of background. So we've got these two guys that come in out of the church. And James is saying, don't show partiality to these two guys outside of the church, either positive or negative. Okay? So as we go down through here, he says, if any pay attention, to, or he says, and if you pay attention 
to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down at my, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions? What does he mean by distinctions? You're better than this one. That's really what James is saying. If you get to the point where you are showing partiality to the rich man and saying, you sit here, and you're saying to the poor man, you stand over there, you've made a distinction. There's a real issue with that. Both of these men were created in the image of God. There is no distinction. It doesn't matter if they're black or they're white, they're rich or they're poor. It doesn't matter what part of the country they're from. You don't make distinctions. They have been created in the image of God. Therefore, they all have the same value. So moving on, get down just a little bit further, down in verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. Dishonoring the poor man, you, you've taken the honor, what little bit he, of dignity he may have still had, you've removed that from him. You've dishonored him. You've caused him to realize that there is a distinction between the rich guy and him when there should have never been that made. So we've got going on in this text right here. I'm going to stop there. I'll start preaching this text. We've got going on there two guys from the outside of the church. The church shows partiality to both of them. James gives a command, don't do it. It's wrong. Now we get down into our text. and let's read verses 8 through 11. It says, <laughs> I love this text. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Okay, so James in 1 through 7 is talking about people coming into the church, showing partiality to people coming into the church. When he gets to verse 8, 9, 10, 11... Things have changed a bit, and I'm going to show you why. He's now concentrating everything to the inside of the church. Where it was talking about showing partiality to people coming in from the outside, now he's going to talk about showing partiality to one another inside the church. How do I know that? In verse 8, the word you. Look there at verse 8. Verse 8 is that if you, it's plural. If you, the whole church, start showing partiality, verse 9 both times the word you is used, it's plural. If you within the church are showing partiality, you are not doing well. There again, in the very last of verse 9, the word transgressors is plural. James has moved from talking about people coming into the church, having preferential treatment showed to them, to inside the church. So bear with me as I work on this idea, work with this idea of showing preferential treatment or showing partiality within the church. Verse 8 begins this way. If you really fulfill the royal law according to, yourself, or according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. Royal law. Let's talk about that for just a moment. What makes this a royal law? Well, the first thing that it does not make it a royal law is that it is more, it's moral superiority. It is not the most moral superior law given in the word of God. There is one for certain that we will all know is far more morally superior than love your neighbor as yourself. 
It would be this one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Cody talked about it this morning. The simple fact is that one would rank far above morality-wise. Love your neighbor as yourself. God would take priority over our neighbors. So we can't say that it is the royal law because of its moral superiority. Secondly, it's not the royal law because some king or some president, some congressman, some senator dictated it out to us. Now, it is because of who did give the law. It wasn't a king, it was the king. It wasn't a lord, it was the lord. So the king of kings and lord of lords is the one who gives this law to love your neighbor as yourself. That in and of itself is what makes this a royal law. So as humans, we work pretty diligently at keeping the laws of the land around us, or I hope we do. I hope you all really do, because we're commanded in Scripture to obey the authorities that are set above us. In Romans 13 and in 1 Peter 2 and in Titus 3, we're given those commands. So what are some laws that we are commanded to keep? Well, some simple ones. In the state of Texas, we are told that we have to have a driver's license to drive a vehicle on the streets in Texas. Well, we obey that law. We go get a driver's license so we can drive in the state of Texas. Uh, stop light, stop sign. It say, means stop. It doesn't mean coast on through it and do what you want to do later. It means stop. So we, we keep that law. Um, for those of us who uh, have a license to carry a weapon, uh, there are places where we can and places where we cannot carry a weapon. We don't intentionally carry weapons where we are not legally allowed to do so. So we strive to keep these laws. We've been commanded to keep them, so we strive to keep them. So if we're going to strive that diligently to keep the laws of man, Driver's license, stop light, stop sign, don't carry a gun here, don't carry a gun there. How much harder should we strive to keep the royal law of God? Probably a little bit more diligently, wouldn't you think? I think we ought to. I think it ought to be our, the Christian's heart to go, this is the law of God, and I ought to do the very best I can do to keep it. If I'm going to work to keep man's law, then I ought to work to keep God's law way harder. Second point here. This royal law is fixed in Scripture. What do I mean by fixed in Scripture? I mean that it is set forth in Scripture. This isn't something that somebody made up. This isn't just some lame brain idea that some preacher came up with. This is fixed in Scripture. And we're going to look at four places where this comes from. First one is Leviticus 19, 17, and 18. We'll just read, I'll just read to you verse 18. I've got it in my notes. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall... Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, you couldn't get it any closer. It's a direct quote. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This comes straight out of Leviticus. But even before Leviticus, it comes up in Exodus. If you, turn to, if you were to turn to Exodus 20, verses 12 through 17, you would find these commands. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. And don't covet. Well, we're going to find out here in just a minute that Jesus equates those six commands to loving your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 19, 18 and 19, the rich young ruler comes to him and he says, Good teacher, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus quotes to him the last six commandments. And he says, Do this 
and love your neighbor as yourself. He makes the equation right there. So it's Old Testament and it's New Testament, but there's one other place that I want us to look, and it was really close to where uh, uh, Cody was this morning. Turn over to uh, 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. It says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I think Cody alluded to that this morning, didn't he? If anyone says he loves God and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, this commandment we have from God. Whoever loves God must also love his brother, i.e. must love his neighbor. So this is fixed in Scripture. This command, this royal law is fixed in Scripture. And just so that we're all aware, it's not null and void. It hasn't been thrown out. The church didn't exit out of the Bible and say, well, you know, we don't like that and we're just going to do away with it. It is still in place today. It is still a law for us. We are to not show partiality to one another We are to love one another as our own selves. Hasn't been canceled. The next point that I'd like to make out of the text is this. text says, if you really fulfill the royal law, you're doing well. If you really fulfill the royal law, you're doing well. Well, we would love to say that we really fulfill the royal law. I mean, come on. When something goes on in the church, somebody gets sick, what do we do? Meal train, we take care of them. We minister to them. Somebody dies in the church. We minister to them. We hug, we we cry. We're there for one another. Um, We help one another. Somebody has an issue in the church, this church is pretty good about getting together and helping one another out. We minister to one another, and we would all say, of course we fulfill this royal law. We're Christians. And I think as a church we do a fair job. But I use the word fair on purpose. Because we're going to find out in just a minute. James says you don't fulfill this law. A couple of implications that I want to get to you. When it says if you really fulfill, that we have to consider what does the word fulfill mean in this text. The word fulfill means that you fully accomplish. You do it completely. And if we can use a little bit stronger word, you do it perfectly now it starts to look a little tougher doesn't it if you really fulfill perfectly the royal law then you're doing well if you really love your neighbor as yourself then you're doing well well when you have to say something like if you really Like, if I say, if you really, truly, honestly mean it, then James says, if you really fulfill the royal law, if you really do it to perfection, there's kind of a little bit of a twist in that. Really, you can't. Really, you haven't. Really, you don't have the ability. There's only one person who's ever fulfilled this law perfectly, and it's Christ. There is only one person who has ever loved his neighbor as himself and done it perfectly. It's Christ. We've never even come close. 
somehow in the back of our mind, we want to say, well, we do this and we do that and we kind of do over here and we do over there and we do pretty good at this. And in the back of our mind, we want to pat ourselves on the back and say, well, we do pretty good. But that's not what this law says. The word fulfill means to bring it to completion, to do it perfectly. And then I'm doing well, James says. If you do not bring it to completion perfectly, then there's an implication. You're not doing well. So James has already set before us the idea that we may not do as well with this royal law as we think we do. Quick review. One, we're dealing with a command. A command of the church to anybody who claims to be a Christian, don't show partiality. Number two, James was talking earlier about people coming into the church and showing partiality to them. Now he's talking about inside the church, showing partiality to one another. This is a royal law. This is God's law. This is not man's law. This was handed down by the king of kings. This law is fixed in scripture and it is still to this very day effective. It is still in effect. We think we're doing pretty well with this law and the reality is James says we really aren't. So just a review to get us caught up. Always two sides to a coin, isn't there? James says, well, if you fulfill the royal law, you're doing well. It's verse 8. Let's look at verse 9 because now we're going to look at the other side of the, or verse 9 says we're looking at the other side of the coin. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So if you actually perfect this law, you're doing well. But since you can't do it perfectly, you better read verse 9 because in verse 9 it says that if you don't, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin. Hmm. What does it mean to show partiality? Use the word quite a few times now up to this point. What does it mean to show partiality? Well, when we think about the term partiality, we think about showing favor to somebody. We think about Man, I want to do something good for this person. I want to lift them up. Like in, in, in James's example in 1 through 7, I want to take this rich guy and I'm going to set him in the best seat that we've got. That's kind of what we think of showing partiality. But let me, let me give you a definition that came out of uh, Renner's Expository Dictionary. To regard a person based on their appearance or their position in life. To have regard for a person based on their appearance or their position in life. So now it could be somebody who's wealthy. It could be somebody who's poor. It's just to regard them in one way or the other based on what they look like or where they are in life. A second definition. To show unfair favor for one person over another. Back to the rich man. I'm going to show favor to this guy and I'm going to show dishonor to this guy. James says it this way, he said, if you're showing partiality, if you're showing partiality, then you're in sin. The really big difficulty in that is that it's continual sin. Read the text, verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin. That word committing indicates ongoing to continue. This is what you're continually doing. What does it mean? It means your habit. This is the way you do things. 
So if we turn this coin over, we look at it, James says, if you really fulfill this royal law perfectly, you're doing well. Now turn the coin back over. But if you're not, you're in a continual state of sin. Well, wow. Um, if we're in a continual state of sin, then we need to do something. We need to repent. We need to stop and realize, I might be the one showing partiality, and I need to repent from showing partiality. James is extremely clear here. He doesn't call it falling down. He doesn't call it slipping. He says it is sin. Showing partiality is sin. 9b says, if you're showing partiality, you are also convicted by the law as transgressors. Now, if I tell you the word convicted, first thing that we're going to think of is a court of law, right? We're going to think about some guy who's on trial for murder, judges, judge sitting at, the, at, the, uh, uh, at his table, and the witnesses come in, they give all their testimony, and when it's all over and done with, the judge says, boom, guilty. You're convicted of murder. That's what goes through our mind. That's not what the word convicted means here in the text. Here in the text, this idea of convicted means that the law mashes down on your conscience, squeezes down on your conscience so that you know you've broken the law of God. Put it this way. Put it in the context of our text. You show partiality to somebody and you know the law. Now that law does its job and it squeezes down on you so that you know you're guilty of breaking that law. It presses in on your conscience and it causes you to understand, I have violated God's law. That's what it means here to be convicted by the law. Now, I wrote this note in here. I hope you guys will give me a little bit of leeway and maybe I can make this clear. It is possible to break one of God's laws and not even know you've done it. Who here would say they know every command given in the Bible? I don't. So it's possible that I could break a command in God's law or a command from God's word, not even know it. Here's the issue. Once that law is revealed to you, made clear to you where you understand it, Now, you become convicted by the law. When you are convicted by the law, it squeezes down on you. You're made aware that you've sinned against God. And again, it is time at that point to repent from the sin. It is not time to carry on business as usual. Verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become become accountable for all of it. Two very quick points here. The law that's being spoken of, notice that throughout this text it's been the law, not the laws. The law here is one law with many facets. It has many sides and many uh, uh, aspects to it. And what James is telling us here is if you break one aspect, you're guilty of the entire law. You're guilty of breaking the entire law. So let's take it back to our driving example from earlier. You've got your driver's license. You stop at every stop sign. You stop at every stoplight. You turn your blinkers on everywhere you go. But, man, you got a bad habit of speeding. 
you speed one time and you're guilty of, I get its analogy and it breaks down, but you're guilty of breaking all of the driving law. That's what James is getting at. Here's the whole law of God. You break it in one aspect and you're guilty of every piece of it. You're guilty of breaking all of it. And even if you kept all the aspects except one, here's where we get in trouble. Here's where humanity gets in trouble. Well, you know, I turn my blinkers on when I drive. I stop at stop signs. I stop at at, at stoplights. I yield every time it says yield. I don't speed. But you know, that one time I, I, I made a right turn on red and the sign said don't do it. So, judge, you shouldn't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't convict me. You shouldn't hang me up because, you know, for the most part, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't intentionally go out and break the law. Problem is, if you apply that biblically, you're going to come into a problem. We've got a just judge who's sitting in front of us who is going to say, you broke one, that's all it takes. You don't have to break them all. You just have to break one to be guilty of all of it. And so here's God sitting on his throne, knowing that we've broken more than one aspect of his law. Therefore, we have become guilty of breaking it all. Who wants an unjust judge? Talk about a guy committing murder, being guilty, murders a member of your family. Do you want him to come in and go, hey, you know, two weeks ago, I gave $10,000 to a homeless shelter. The week before that, I rescued some kid out of, a, uh, out of a pool who was drowning. week before that, I helped an old lady across the street and get her groceries into the house. Do you want the judge to go, oh, man, you know, you're not that bad. All you did was murder. No, you want that guy to go to jail. God's the same judge. He isn't going to say, well, you kept most of it. You did pretty good. Come on in. He's not going to work that way. Let's do verse 11 right quick. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. If you do not murder or do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Remember, this is one law. It's not multiple laws. It's one law. It's God's law. And at this point, James has started to make it very clear which law he's talking about. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. When he talks about adultery and he talks about uh, uh, murder, he makes it very clear that he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about God's law given on Mount Sinai. Number one, he makes it very clear that it's God's law. It's not man's law. It's God's law. He makes it clear that if you break one little aspect of God's law, then you're guilty. Now, we're talking specifically about the royal law, right? We're talking specifically about not showing partiality. So if I break one of the last six commandments, if I break the commandment that says, um, you shall not bear false witness, How am I then guilty of the first four? Because the first four are how we are in relation to God. Well, if you lie to a brother or you lie to your neighbor, you have made yourself God. I don't have to do what the God of heaven says. I'll be God and I'll do what I jolly well want to do. I'll throw his law out the the door and I'll make my own law. 
You have become an idolater. You have set yourself up as God instead of God. You have sinned against man who is made in the image of God. Therefore, you have broken all four of the first four commandments. You see, if you break one law out of God or one aspect of God's law, you're guilty of breaking it all. Also, remember this God is a just judge. You don't get to break one or two here or there and get away with it. So, for the next 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to deal with application. Just a little bit of application. So before I start into the application, i got to say this so nobody thinks I'm getting in their business. I don't know anybody's situations. I don't know anybody's circumstances. I am not pointing any fingers, and I am certainly not aware of anything that may be going on in your life. So if this matches up, don't think I'm spying on you. Don't think somebody came running to me and told me something that's going on in your life. These are just things that I've seen in every church that I've ever been in concerning showing partiality. So let's talk about some ways that the church can show partiality within the church. First one I'm going to say is showing partiality to self. How do we show partiality to self? Well, Tanya likes to watch TV, so we'll go home and she's I want to watch TV. Well, I'm being a jerk. I don't want to watch TV. I want to listen to the radio. So rather than do what she wants to do, I'm going to show partiality to myself, and we're going to turn the radio on. Now, y'all are going, wait a minute. That's not inside the church. Okay, I'll get it inside the church right quick. I'll show you partiality in this church right this very minute. Everybody take a look around at all the people who were here this morning who are not here this evening. They are showing partiality to themselves. They determined that they didn't need to be here tonight. They determined that their spiritual gift was not needed in the church tonight. I would rather sit at home and watch TV. I would rather go to the ice cream store. I would rather do whatever, but I'm not going to church. They showed partiality by not being here. Now, I do get some people have extenuating circumstances. I'm allowing for those. But when it's an intentional, I will not come on Sunday night, I will not come on Wednesday night, I will not come when there's communion. They are showing partiality to themselves by not being here. They are disregarding the church, and they are setting themselves above the church. What's another way that inside the church we might show partiality? Clicks. Clicks. What do I mean by a click? A click is a small group of people taken out of a big group of people. Looks kind of like this. You got four or five guys that stand right over there in that corner that like sports. They know everything there is to know about every sport there is. They know about soccer, baseball, football. You name it, they know about it. They know every player. They know every statistic. And what do they do for 30 minutes before church? They stand over there in that little corner and they talk sports. Then there's these other guys, and this is me, by the way. There's these guys that like guns. They like to talk about guns. So for 30 minutes before church, they'll stand right over here at this end of this pew, and they'll talk about guns, they'll talk about ammo, they'll talk about reloading, they'll talk about everything under the sun that has to do with guns. Don't worry, women, I'm going to get you guys included too. I'm not going to leave you all out. 
There are women who like to cook. And by the way, we got some phenomenal cooks in here, so I'm not picking on the people who cook. But there's women who like to cook. And what do women who like to cook do? They get with other women who like to cook, and they talk about recipes. They talk about where they can get this ingredient or that ingredient. So they'll be standing over here in this corner, maybe in the fellowship hall, shopping. Okay, so anybody in here, any women like to shop in here? All right, see, this isn't even going to hit home because nobody here likes to shop. But women like to shop. I know a lot of women like to shop. And so they're going to stand in another area of the church, and they're going to talk about shopping. There's a sale over here. This blouse that I want is over here. I'm going to go get it because in two weeks it's going to be on sale. Women like to do these types of things. Men like to do these types of things. So we look at this and we go, okay, so how is having this clique of uh, sports guys, gun guys, uh, ladies who like to cook, ladies who like to shop, how in the world is that showing partiality? Well, I'll tell you. You see, these four guys standing over here like football and all the sports, and these four guys over here, their two groups never do this, ever. They never mix. They're showing partiality. My group is only about this. My group is only about this, and we will not mix. Now, that's bad enough, but how about this? How about the person who's sitting in the pew who's not in any group, who gets neglected, who gets left out of every conversation, showed partiality by not inviting them to your group? So cliques are really a means of showing partiality within the church. Choosing sides. Choosing sides. Now, praise the Lord, we don't have arguments around here too often. We haven't, I haven't been here almost eight years, and I don't think I have seen a real knockdown, drag out argument yet. But in my last church, I saw, I saw this. Person A gets in an argument with person B. Person A gathers up all of his friends and starts going, he did, he did, he said, she said. Next thing you know, Person B's over here, Cody, is, sorry, Cody, you're getting all your friends together, and you, man, this guy did this, he did that, he said this. Next thing, next week, you got person A and all of his friends over here, person B and all of his friends sitting over here, there's nobody in the middle. Partiality. The people behind person A and the people behind person B said, you know what? I don't know if he's right or wrong, but he's my friend, so by golly, I'm sticking with him partiality. Now, if you think it's bad in an argument between two people, wait until it comes down to a church discipline issue. Oh, now you're going to see some fireworks. Billy Bob gets called out for being in continual sin, whatever the sin may be. Billy Bob gets mad because the church has called him out on his sin. So he goes and talks to his buddies and gathers up all of his friends And you know what his friends say? I don't worry about it, Billy Bob. That sin isn't all that bad. Really? You're going to pick that side? Look, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to pick sides in an argument, or if you want to pick sides in a church discipline scenario, pick the side who's standing on the Bible. Pick the side who's going, you know what? Thus saith the Lord, that's why I'm doing this. This is what the Bible says, that's why I'm doing this. You want to show partiality? Show partiality to Christ and his word. That's where we need to stand. Not with our buddies, not with our friends. Hmm. One more place, a couple more places where we show partiality. Placing unreal expectations on people. 
Placing unreal expectations on people. And we'd love to say we don't do this, but we do. This happens all over the place. None of them here. You expect the pastor's kids to act a certain way. Well, that's the pastor's kids. They ought to know better. How about your kids? Maybe they ought to know better. You expect the pastor's wife to act a certain way. Well, my gosh, she's been in the church for this many years. She surely ought to do this or ought to do that. A little bit of an unreasonable expectation, if you ask me. You expect the pastor's wife to run the nursery or run children's church. Pretty common. You expect the pastor to be available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You expect that at 2 in the morning you should be able to dial his phone number and he should answer. You expect that he should fix all of your problems. This problem showed up, so I'm going to call my pastor at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's a really unrealistic expectation. I'll tell you something about problems. If you'll read your Bible and apply it, you won't have nearly as many problems. You won't have a need to call your pastor so frequently at 2 or 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Unreal expectations. Stop it. Just stop. There's another unreal expectation that gets put on in here. She's not here either. In the, in the kitchen. Oh, well, so-and-so works in the kitchen. She'll take care of it. So-and-so takes out the trash. He'll take care of it. Here's the reality. We put un unreal expectations on everybody. Instead of bowing up and saying, you know what, I'm just going to do it whatever it might need to be. So don't put unrealistic expectations on people. It is showing partiality in a negative sense. It's going to be the last one, and it's the one that irks me the most. And it's not news to y'all that it irks me. It's neglecting the pastor. Now, look, I get it. Nobody walks around on Monday morning going, you know what, man, I think this week, I think my goal is to just neglect my pastor. I am going to put every ounce of effort that I can into neglecting my pastor. Nobody does that. So how does it happen? How does it come about that a pastor gets neglected? Well, it's usually very unintentionally. He shows up day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and what's he do? He preaches Sunday morning, he preaches Sunday night, he preaches Wednesday night. He teaches and he counsels. It doesn't take very many weeks, months, and years before all of a sudden the pastor is just another face in the crowd. It's happened here. I'll tell you plain out, I've seen it. What does it look like when that happens? Anybody besides me got an old piece of furniture in their house that you just really don't use much anymore? Just kind of sits off in the corner. There's nothing wrong with it. Chair is perfectly fine, perfectly useful. It works just great. You just don't use it anymore. That's how a pastor gets neglected. Not intentional. I just got something else that serves the same purpose. Or I don't need that right now. Look. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. That one bugs me. Bugs me a lot. More especially because our pastor works his backside off. 
to feed you well, to teach you well, to lead you well. And whether intentional or unintentional, he gets neglected. And that's showing partiality in a negative sense. So church, consider the things that I've said. There's a ton of other things that we could go into and say, look, this is a means of showing partiality in a positive way. This is a means of showing partiality in a negative way. Consider these things. Think about them. Think about any other way where you might be the one showing partiality inside the church. Go stand in front of the mirror and ask yourself, am I showing partiality inside the church? Do I not talk to this person because our personalities are different? Do I not go out to eat with this person because I don't much care for them? Get over yourself. Quit showing partiality. We've heard the text. We've heard what it says. Now here's the reality. Now we're all responsible for it. You are now responsible for not showing partiality in the church. You're responsible for figuring out, do I show partiality inside the church? And if I do, I need to repent from it. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this text. I thank you for the sermon. I thank you, God, that you are gracious enough to show us where we sin against man and where we sin against you. Thank you that you are gracious and that when we are faithful to come to you with our sins, you're faithful to forgive them. Lord, I pray tonight that every single person in this church tonight would sit down and take an honest look at themselves and determine where they may or may not be showing partiality. Lord, I pray that when we see partiality in our own lives, that we would repent from it. Lord, that we would ask forgiveness from you, that our church would be stronger, that unity would be tighter that our love and service to you would be greater. Father, I do pray that you would watch our steps as we go this week. I pray that your word would be a light unto our feet. These things I pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.